And so good to see everyone here today as we wrap up our Global Impact Month, and it has been power-packed. Have you enjoyed Global Impact Month thus far? Amen. It's been wonderful. We're excited about today. And I've been looking forward to this day for a long, long time. We have a very, very special guest with us today. And uh, I'm just going to give you two or three things about him, but I, I want to share all of this because I think you need to know a little bit about uh, our general superintendent. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it all with you today. Uh, so we're excited to have our uh, general superintendent here today, uh, Pastor Doug Clay. He has been the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God since August of 2017. And uh, that he, is, uh, he holds the highest position in our fellowship. And we're excited about having him here today. Uh, the Assemblies of God is the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world. Uh, the church has nearly 13,000 congregations in the United States. The, the U.S. Assemblies of God is part of a larger World Assemblies of God fellowship with a membership of over 69 million people. Pastor Clay has a passionate love for the local church. He is a church health enthusiast, and he effectively equips leaders to grow in their calling. He is the author of Ordered Steps and Dreaming in 3D. He and his wife, Gail, have two grown daughters and seven grandchildren. Uh, Pastor Clay served the church as its general treasurer for nine years. He was also superintendent of the Ohio district from 2004 to 2008. He pastored Calvary Assembly of God in Toledo, Ohio from 1997 to 2004. Also served as the Assemblies of God National Youth Director, also as the Ohio District Youth Director, and as a youth pastor in Ohio and Iowa. He is a 1985 graduate of Central Bible College in Springfield, Missouri. Amen. We, we love this guy. I will tell you, I have just got to uh, just have short conversations with him about three different times, and I want to tell you, I have always found him to be genuine to be kind. I love his spirit. I think we're in really, really good hands in the Assemblies of God. Would you make Pastor Doug Clay welcome to the Grace Place today? Thanks, Pastor. Pastor Mike. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, would you do me a favor? Can we welcome Jesus into the service today? Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Absolutely. Wow, this is a privileged opportunity to be here, to be a part of this Global Impact Month, to be a part of what you're doing. I want to say thank you for not just being a healthy local church, but being a church that's having a global impact. And for those of you who are watching online, thank you. I trust that you'll lean in today and be a part of what God wants to accomplish. You know, here's what I've discovered um, Great churches aren't built accidentally. It takes several things. It takes the blessing of the Lord, and certainly God's hand of blessing is on this church. It takes a community of people like you that understand a church isn't just a religious fraternity or a civic club that meets on a regular basis, but we really are the body of Christ seeking to expand his kingdom here on earth. And it also takes called and capable leadership. 
And can I tell you, when it comes to called and capable leadership, you have the absolute best sitting right down here in the front row. And I just want to say thank you, Pastor Mike, for leading so effectively, for leading so well, and for dressing so cool. I'm just glad I got white bottom shoes on today. And I thought, I'm in the spirit, right? Because I got the same shoes that Pastor has. And so... What a delight. It's a delight. I am so grateful that you're turning your attention for a month uh, to the world. Can I just tell you a couple of things? First of all, when it comes to the assemblies of God, this network of churches that you're a part of, when you say you belong to the assemblies of God, did you know this? 95% of us resides outside of the United States. We're a global family. In fact, this might encourage you. There are 10 times more Assemblies of God churches in the world than there are McDonald's restaurants. That's because the ethos and embedded into the DNA of the Assemblies of God, we believe that everybody has a right to taste and see that the Lord is good. We believe that everybody has a right to be presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. So so Global Impact Month is not a denominational obligation. It's all a part of the, the DNA of this church that believes that not just the metro Dallas area, but that the world deserves to hear that the Lord is good. Yes. Amen? Yes. There's a legend which recounts the return of Jesus to heaven after his time here on earth. Even in heaven, he bore the marks and the scars and the bruises of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. And when he returned to heaven, the angel Gabriel, the legend recounts, approached him and says, Lord, was it as bad as it seems? Jesus said it was. Well, Master, you suffered terribly at the hands of men down there. Jesus said, I did. Gabriel went on and said, well, do they know how much you love them? Do they know what you did for them? Do they know what your death actually means? And Jesus said, no, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine really get it. Well, Gabriel was perplexed at that and says, well, then what have you done? What have you done to let more people know about your love for them and what your death means? Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter, James, John, and a few of their friends to tell others about me and Those who they tell will in turn tell others, and hopefully my story will be spread to the farthest parts of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will hear about my love for them and what my death means. And Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical, and he said, well, well, Lord, what if Peter, James, and John, what if they forget? What if they grow tired? What if they don't tell? What if down line the story doesn't continue? What's your contingency plan? Jesus said to Gabriel, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them to keep the story alive. And I would submit to you, friends, that 21 centuries later, Jesus still has no other plans. 
He's counting on you. He's counting on me to continue the work of reconciling the world to himself, to continue the work that he faithfully carried out here on earth. That's why we set aside time to turn our heart and our attention to the world to people who are lost. You see, ever since the fall of man, it has been God's intention to reunite himself with humanity. It's always been his intention. That's a part of it. And so it's my prayer this morning, my prayer on this final Sunday of of Missions Global Impact Week, that despite all of the craziness around us, that we'll just take a break at looking at life horizontally And we'll look at things from a vertical perspective. You see, when you look at life horizontally, it's full of ambition. It's cutthroat. It's it's discouraging. But when you stop and let God shape your view of missions, let God shape your view of compassion, let God renew your motivation to reach people, because if we look at life horizontally, we have a tendency to label people and then not see people as Jesus saw people. So this morning, I know many of you are Christ followers, you're all in when it comes to global impact, but this morning... I want to just remind us a little bit about why. Why missions? Why us? Why you? Why now? I would submit to you, first of all, the reason why you do a Global Impact Month is because, number one, Jesus died for everyone. I said Christ died for everyone. The first public description of Jesus, right, is when John the Baptist said, look, there's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. That declaration was a game changer. Think about it. Up to that point, humanity had sort of been relying on the blood of sacrificial lambs for the atonement of sins. Thousands of lambs had been slaughtered, but God comes along. He provides the perfect sacrifice, not a lamb, but his son, his only begotten son. And Hebrews says in Hebrews 9.26 that Christ has appeared once and for all to put away sin by sacrificing himself. That's why we do the Great Commission. That's why we have Global Impact Month, because Christ died for all. You see, in the Old Testament, remember in the Old Testament when Abraham took his son, his only son Isaac, up to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed? Isaac asked his father on the way up there, Dad, there's an altar. Dad, there's some wood, but where's the lamb? (laughs) Abraham said, don't worry, son. God will provide the lamb. And you know what? He did. He provided a ram for Abraham. He's provided a lamb, his son, for us. And I'm telling you, church, when we realize all of the implications of Christ's death on a cross, then we should go beyond just missiological thinking. We should go beyond just global impact talking. We should move into missiological action. Taking this gospel to people who need it. He said, Doug, do you believe that strong? Yes, I do. And I'll tell you why I believe that strongly in the gospel and missions is because God keeps his word. Did you know that God doesn't lie? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't break promises? Have you ever been the victim of a broken promise? It hurts. 
When you're a victim of a broken promise, people who break a promise, they have a failure in one of two areas, integrity or ability. They don't follow through with what they say or they don't have the resources to back up of what they said. But when God said that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life, he doesn't break a lie. He has got both the integrity and the ability to back up every single promise he said. That's why every Muslim has the right to taste and see that the Lord is good. Every person who's struggling with their identity has a right to the gospel because God said whoever believes in him. So I believe in missions because I believe in the word of God. I suspect I discovered the power of God's ability to keep his word um, my freshman year in Bible college. Now, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a third-generation Pentecostal preacher's kid, right? So I grew up in this thing. I, I grew up falling asleep in the church pews. I grew up where mom thought dad was going to take me home after a Sunday night service. Dad thought mom was going to take me after a Sunday. Can I tell you, when you wake up and the lights are out, you can sing all you want, I'm going to speak the name of Jesus. But that's a spooky place to wake up, I'm just telling you. You hear things you shouldn't hear. I love the church. I knew which Sunday school teacher served the best snacks. So if the service got going a little too long, I would find that supply closet and I would chow down on those double stuffed Oreo cookies. Ah, I love the church. So when I was nine years old, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. I was nine, my brother was 15, my sister was 18. But you know, I never felt the negative impact of being raised by a single mom because I was a part of a great church much like this where I had a lot of spiritual dads. I had spiritual dads who helped me build my Pinewood Derby car for Royal Rangers. I had spiritual dads that would take me to father-son campouts or Detroit Tiger baseball games. This sounds crazy, but I kind of felt sorry for kids who only had one dad. Because I had all of these spiritual fathers. Can I just put a comma right here? I want to challenge all the men of the church here. Will you be the answer to a single mom's prayer? There are a lot of single moms that will check out the church. And before they ever say yes to your doctrine, they want to know, can you help me raise my kids? And if you are here today and you're a single mom, can I just say to you, number one, you're my hero, and number two, you can make it. But you're going to need the strength and the support of a great church like this where there are spiritual dads. So I grew up and felt this call of God in my life to go into the ministry. So I took off and went to Bible college, and man, that's when it happened. I started meeting other preacher's kids. In fact, my roommate was a preacher's kid from Carlinville, Illinois, and and he'd go home on the weekends. His dad would let him take part in a service or a church council meeting. He'd come back. We'd stay up late Sunday night, early Sunday morning, just talking church stuff. He would say things like, you know, my dad said this is how we ought to do outreach. My dad said this is how we ought to do compassion ministry. My dad said this is how we ought to do missions. My dad said, my dad said, my dad... And for one of the first times in my life, I felt like I had been cheated by God. 
I thought, Lord, I would like a dad that would mentor me in this pastoral pursuit. I would like a dad that would walk this out with me. And all of a sudden, instead of processing the reality of my situation through the lenses of Scripture, I started processing it through my emotions. Let me pause right there. One of the reasons why your pastors place such a high priority on the Word of God is because when you go through crazy times, if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to listen to yourself rather than the truth of God's Word. And can I tell you, myself lies to me at times. When we go through crazy times in culture, if you're not careful, you'll have a tendency to process your reality through Fox News rather than the Word of God or CNN News rather than the Word. Can I tell you, both of those don't always tell you the truth. But God's word will never lie to you. So I talked myself into this, God, you're not fair. Why would you do something so unjust? And I was ready to quit school and go home and take care of my mom. I'll never forget, I called her one night. I said, Mom, this doesn't make sense. Why would God do something like this? And uh, she said, Honey, I can't answer your whys. But I can promise you this. And my mom broke into this really cool Her prayer went like this, Lord, you said in your word. (laughs) Now, I got to tell you, I grew up with my mom using that phrase an awful lot. (laughs) And can I just confess something to you? I'm 59 years old. I'm the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. But I got to be honest, I don't think everything my mom said was in the book was really in the book. (laughs) I think she leveraged that to get her way with us boys. But this time... She was spot on. Her prayer went like this. Lord, you said in your word, you'd be a father to the fatherless. And I claim that promise for my son, Doug. In Jesus' name. Well, we hung up and I didn't feel any better. And I was still ready to quit school. Two days later in a chapel service there, there was a missionary And he gave this call for students to surrender themselves. And all these students walked forward singing, I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. And I didn't. I just turned around and I knelt in my chapel seat. And by now I wasn't even able to pray. I was feeling sorry for myself, kind of feeling like a victim. And saying, Lord, this stinks. I was in that knelt, feeling sorry for myself position for a few moments When all of a sudden I felt the strength and the warmth of a large hand placed on my back. I turned around and I looked and there was Coach Arnold. Coach Arnold was the basketball coach at Central Bible College. 6'6", 250 pounds, a hulk of a man. And he had his paw, I mean his hand, on my back. And he was old school Pentecost because when he was praying for me, he was pushing on my back at the same time. When I turned and looked at him, he had a crocodile tear coming down his cheek. He said, Duggar, I knew your dad. I know your mom. Both of them would be really proud of you. And then he took his hand and he put it to my shoulder and he pulled me really tight into himself. He said these words, Duggar, as long as you were at Central Bible College, I consider you like my own son. Son. And when he said, son, I jumped up and I tried to hug him and he hugged me and I snotted and cried all down the front of his shirt. But can I tell you, church, in the moment of that embrace, there was a prayer that went 
like replay off in my mind. 48 hours earlier, there was a godly mom who said, Lord, you said in your word. I can't promise you that life is going to be hassle-free. I can't promise you that we're going to find world peace all of a sudden. I can't promise you that there's not going to be new variants and new restrictions. I can't promise you that the upcoming political cycle is going to be any less raw than it was the last time. But here's what I can promise you. Though mountains may crumble and seas run dry, the word of our God stands forever. God said, for whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it's in this kind of cultural climate that we can claim the promises of God, that his word will not return void, that they who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, yep, I believe in it because I believe that God keeps his word and Christ died for everyone. Second reason why I'm enthusiastic about global impact is, well, quite frankly, because There are people everywhere that need Jesus. There are people everywhere that need Jesus. Oh, it's true, the spread of Christianity since the birth of the church has been amazing. (laughs) Actually, supernatural. But listen to me, just because the gospel has gone to every political country in the world doesn't mean that every people group has been reached. Let me unpack that for you for just a minute. There are more than 7,000 unreached people groups. Say those three words with me. Unreached people. Come on, say it again. Unreached people groups around the world. Now, an unreached people group is a a community of people with less than 2% evangelical Christian. Now wrap your mind around this. Over 42% of the world's population live in these 7,000 unreached people groups. That's kind of hard to comprehend when you live in a community that at every block corner there's a brand of church. But 42% of the world's population... Don't have an indigenous church capable of taking the gospel to them. So when I say people everywhere need Jesus, that's why we have a global impact month. Because everybody everywhere has has the ability to respond. Man was created in the image of God. So we don't do missions just to keep some denominational activity alive. We do missions because we know one of the best things about bringing the presence of Jesus to people are missionaries. So every fire Bible that goes into one of these unreached people groups, every missionary that you support, every every act of compassion through Convoy of Hope and some of these unreached people, what you're doing, you're bringing the presence of Jesus to that area. And can I tell you, sometimes that's all it takes is just the presence of Jesus. Just the presence of Jesus. In fact, that's what it takes for us sometimes, just the presence of Jesus. I think speaking of presence, I learned the power of presence through my nine-year-old grandson, Jackson. Hey, any grandparents in the house? Can I see your hand? Isn't grandparenting awesome? You know, I've quickly discovered that the reason why grandparents and grandkids get along so well 
We have the same common enemy, their parents. It's true. We've got seven grandchildren ages 10 down to three, and I'm loving it. About three years ago, three years ago, Jackson, my oldest grandson, he and I decided it'd be okay to have his first overnighter at Papa's house. Now, it took a lot of convincing of his mom, my firstborn, that we could do this. But we tag-teamed and beat, I mean, convinced her into submission that it would be okay to do this. I'll never forget, I drove my truck up to the house, and he was standing in the doorway. He had his Spider-Man backpack just filled with stuff and toys and DVDs and games. And when I pulled in the driveway, he said, Papa, Papa, I said, Jackson, you ready to come to Papa's house? He said, yes, I am. I went up, I grabbed his hand, we turned and started to walk away, and his mom... My firstborn clears her throat and says, Dad, Dad. I said, yeah. She handed me a three-by-five card (laughs) with a set of six very specific instructions. I started reading these instructions. I got down to instruction number three, Dad, comma. After 6 p.m., please make sure you put two parts water, one part apple juice in his sippy cup. Why, first of all, we don't do mixed drinks at Papa's house. (laughs) We're 100% Dr. Pepper at Papa's house. Two parts water. (laughs) Yeah, got it, babe. We got in the truck. I ripped that sucker up. I said, come on, Jackson. We're going to have fun at Papa's house. And we did. We played hide-and-go-seek. We played wiffle ball. We watched Paw Patrol cartoon. I mean, things were great. It was going perfect. He got his jammies on, got ready for bed just about the time, just about the time he was to retire. A southwest Missouri storm whipped up. I mean, a doozy of a storm, loud thunder, crackling lightning, and I could tell Jackson was a little anxious. I said, little buddy, you want to sleep in Papa's? Yeah, yeah. So I made him a sleeping area just down on my side of the bed, a few blankets and some pillows. I said, now, little buddy, lay down. He'd lay down. Boom, a crack of thunder would hit. He would jump up. I'd say, you're okay, little buddy, lay down. Flash of lightning. He'd jump up. Now, this happened about four times. And after the fourth time that it happened, I, I said something. I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know who programmed it in me. What I said makes no meteorological sense, makes no theological sense. It just just came out. I said, Jackson, you don't have to be afraid of thunder. Look, thunder is nothing more than just God moving his furniture up in heaven. (laughs) Don't judge me, Grandma. Don't judge me. You would have put Robitussin in that sippy cup, so don't judge me. Don't judge me. I just wanted him to go to sleep. He said, oh, okay. He laid back down. Next crack of thunder popped up. I'm like, cool. I'll let his kids pastor work on his theology. I just want him to go to sleep. This is great. So I roll over. And just about the time he's out, there was a loud reverberating thunder. I mean, it just kind of reverberated for several seconds. And I'm laying here, but come on, grandparents. We have an extra sense. I could feel a set of eyes just looking at me. Sure enough, when I rolled back over, he wasn't standing all the way up. He was just looking above the mattress. 
but, but, but his eyes were huge. His eyes were huge. And when I rolled over, and just before I said something to him, I, he said, Papa, do you think that I could lay with you till God quits moving his furniture? <laughs> I said, you bet, little buddy. So I picked him up, and I plopped him down in my bed. And church, within 10 seconds, he was out. He was out. I couldn't convince the little tyke that the storm on the outside wouldn't hurt him on the inside, but as long as he was in close proximity to Papa, he had a sense of security to ultimately rest comfortably. And can I tell you, when a missionary, when a fire Bible, when a convoy of hope team, when a Builders International team comes into an unreached people group and they're anxious, their world religion isn't helping them, they see what's happening in their world and they're filled with a lot of fear and anxiety, just the presence of Jesus. We can get numb sometimes to saying, I just want to speak the name of Jesus, but it's amazing to watch what the name of Jesus does in a people group that have never heard the name of Jesus. So global impact, there are people everywhere that need Jesus. And part of our mission's commitment is to help bring the presence of Jesus to 42% of the world's population that are an unreached people group. Third reason why we do a global impact is because, well, quite frankly, eternity is real and it's going to begin soon one day. We do great commission. We do global impact. We do missions because we care about all people, especially eternal suffering. Hear me this morning, church. When it comes to social issues, man, I'm so glad that the Pentecostal church believes in demonstrating compassion and distributing food and buying shoes and and, and stuffing backpacks at the beginning of a school year. I love the fact that we demonstrate compassion to the suffering. But watch this. If the church is only marked by our compassion for the immediate and we're not motivated to respond to the eternal suffering, then we are a defective church. Simply put, there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. Both are real. Dorothy Sayers said to her students, and I quote, When heaven and hell are talked about in scripture, each is portrayed as being just as real and permanent as the other. There seems to be, however, a subtle conspiracy to forget or to conceal the reality of hell. Hell is not some medieval priestcraft to frighten people into giving money to the church. It really is Christ's judgment on sin. We cannot repudiate hell without repudiating Christ. That's why we do missions. That's why we do global impact. Can I tell it to you another way? That the sins that Jesus died for on the cross are enough to warrant eternal punishment. But so too is the grace that was displayed on the cross significant to assure eternal life. So it's true, the wages of sin is death. But it's also true that the gift of God is eternal life. So we do it not as an obligation, not as some some compassion activity to make us feel good. We do global impact because eternity is real, both heaven and hell. 
Finally, this morning, I would submit to you that we do global impact and turn our attention to the loss because we want the next generation of our church to catch the spirit of doing great commission activity. I want to just share my heart for a few moments before I turn our attention to where our faith is. I don't want my grandkids just to have a heart of generosity. I want them to have a heart of compassion. A heart to reach the lost. And I've discovered if we're not intentional in equipping the next generation of great commission thinking, then maintenance mindset can set in. And when maintenance mindset sets in at a church, that's the death nail of a church. You see, you can tell when maintenance mindset kept in when the upkeep on programs distracts you from kingdom advancement. Maintenance mindset steps in when worship becomes nothing more than just a weekly buzz rather than catalyst for mission and life change. A maintenance mindset steps in when pastoring becomes nothing more than just being a religious service provider rather than a missions mobilizer. Maintenance mindset steps in when discipleship becomes nothing more than just a sanctified version of a self-help program rather than recruiting and training for a life of service. So I want to say thank you, Grace Place, for not becoming a maintenance-minded church when it comes to kingdom expansion. We have a right. We have a right to help the next generation to know that it goes beyond just being generous. It's motivated out of compassion. It's motivated out of compassion. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come back. Do you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000? It was an actual miracle. It's not a parable. It actually happened. In fact, other than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. So that tells me, that tells me, it's a pretty important miracle. The story is this. The Bible says there are 5,000 men, so if you calculate women and children, there probably were about ten to 12,000 people. Jesus is teaching on a hillside where they're at. It comes about lunchtime, and so they're determining, do they dismiss the crowd or do they try to feed them? I think Jesus knows if he dismisses the crowd, he may not gather them back. And so he says, well, what do we have? And someone brought a, a little lad's lunch, five loaves, two fish. And, but Andrew says, Lord, I don't know how far this will go among so many. And you know the story. Well, as I reflect on the feeding of the 5,000 to what we're about to do with faith promise for global impact, I'm reminded of a few things. First of all, Jesus and the disciples could have easily been intimidated by the size of the task. I mean, twice in the book of John, the crowd was described as great. But I want to pray and believe that you as a church will be baptized with the spirit of Joshua and Caleb. 
who when Joshua and Caleb compared the task in front of them, they didn't look at themselves and go, we can't do this. They looked at the enemy and the task and said, you know what? We got a God that's bigger than that. Secondly, in the feeding of the 5,000, they could have been incredibly fearful about their limited resources because not only twice was the crowd described as great, twice the resources were described as small. Five small loaves, two small fish. And just hearing a little bit about the last 19 years of this church, I'm grateful that your pastor didn't let the smallness of the resource keep this church from taking steps of faith. So when you look at 7,000 unreached people groups representing 42% of the world's population, it can be overwhelming. When you look at what you have and think, how can my small limited go so far? But don't forget the big part of the miracle, and that's this. I believe Jesus, and I believe that he helped the disciples develop a mindset that said five loaves, two fish, not enough. But five loaves plus two fish plus one Jesus, more than enough. More than enough. And it was. Can you imagine? Because the Bible makes it pretty clear. Here's how it happened Jesus called the disciples, he took the five loaves, the two fish. Their backs were turned to the, team, to, the, uh, to the group. And Jesus starts breaking the five loaves, two fish, into 12 baskets. I don't know if, you, if you're like me, but if I'm looking in my basket and I see a few crumbs from five loaves and a few gills from a couple fish, I'm thinking to myself, Lord... <laughs> Would you go ahead and perform the miracle before we turn around? I've got relatives behind me, and they might be embarrassed. And I think I can imagine Jesus with a grin on his face thinking, you know, you Westerners, you humanity, you always want to start out with your baskets full and then have them end up empty. But in kingdom work, I like you to start out with your baskets empty and then be a dim full. And so what's really cool when you read this miracle, as long as they kept doing, they had enough. Every time they reached in, they had enough. Every time they had reached in, they had enough. Every, not what they calculated. If they were going strictly on calculation, they could probably only get through one row of people. But as long as they kept trusting five loaves, two fish, one Jesus, and kept doing and kept doing, they had more than enough. So this morning, when your pastor comes and encourages you to exercise faith in a faith promise, don't just do it from a calculated perspective. Do it from a perspective that says, Lord, I'll give it if you'll keep giving it to me. I I, I don't calculate it. I can't give this much, but I'll give it if you'll provide it. And that is how Jesus resources his kingdom. We keep moving, he keeps providing. We keep distributing, he keeps. The miracle is in our movement. And so one more time for another year, this church is going to take forward steps of movement and helping the world to taste and see that the Lord is good. So Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be a, uh, a real canopy 
of an awareness that you are God all by yourself, but you privilege us to partner with you in making a global impact. So today, Lord, because we believe that you keep your word, we participate. And we participate with a large amount of faith, believing that if we will take the steps of faith to do, you will provide. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let our act of faith now be anointed by you. In Jesus' name I pray.